Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, Daniel chapter 2, verse 47. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal the secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all his house, over all the wise men of Babylon. I wanted to read this first because it gives us a bit of the background of something that had happened of Daniel's life. Really, we're going to be looking at chapter 4. But at this point in the book of Daniel, the focus has been on Daniel and how God brought him out of the people of Israel, and he became one of the king, what's called the king's wise men in chapter one. Then in chapter two, from just from interpreting a dream and revealing the meaning of it to the king, a dream which the king actually forgot, he was exalted to a very high position to be above all the wise men of Babylon. And it was at this point that King Nebuchadnezzar said those words that we just read. The king made this confession. The king made this proclamation where he knew the truth. And the truth was that he knew was that God was a God of gods and a Lord of kings. And in chapter three, the focus switched to be on three godly friends of Daniel. They stood, they stood to pray fervently for Daniel when Daniel went into the king and interpreted the king's dream. This is when they were all under the sentence of death and Daniel said, wait, don't kill us yet. I'll go and tell the king what he dreamed and make interpretation. And he left his three men at home, and they were the ones who were praying behind the scenes. And then what happened is the king backslid into idolatry and made a large idol. And those three friends of Daniel, those three friends of Daniel, they were fingered by enemies of the Jews who accused them of not bowing and not worshiping the idol that the king had made. And at that point, the tables were now turned. And now it was the turn for Daniel to go in the background, to go home and to pray for his three friends as they went to stand in before the king against this horrible idolatry, even though it meant that they were gonna be roasted alive in a furnace. But they were protected as they were thrown into the furnace. They were protected by none other than the fourth person who walked with them, that was Jehovah Jesus. He walked with them in the furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar, when he saw this, he was so moved by what he saw. He said in chapter 3, verse 28, chapter 3, verse 28, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people 
nation, language, would speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there's no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now that brings us now to chapter four. And in chapter four, the king Nebuchadnezzar, he seems to have a revival after he's made this idol this horrible backsliding, backsliding, makes his idol, but now he seems to have a revival in the beginning of chapter four, verse one, where it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion from generation to generation. But that period in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, after he said that, was very dangerous. Because he seemed at this point in his history that we know from this point in his life, he has no more wars to fight. He has no more lands to conquer. He has no more enemies to defeat. And now pride begins to creep into him like leaven. And he turns his focus now to living 100% for Nebuchadnezzar. And this is where we are now in chapter four, verse four. Chapter four, verse four. Nebuchadnezzar was at rest in mine own house and flourishing. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine, own, in mine house and flourishing in my palace. So the emphasis now on Nebuchadnezzar is on his house, is on his palace. You know, Daniel 4, 4, rest in mine house, flourishing in my palace. May God deliver us. May God deliver us from becoming so at home on earth that we view earth as our home. May God deliver us from saying that this Egypt land, that's the earth that we live on, that it has become so comfortable for us. And this is the big danger. We live in San Diego. It's the big danger that we should never say what the children of Israel said in Numbers 14.3. Numbers 14.3 is when they said, wherefore hath the Lord brought us out into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? It was hard for the children of Israel. It was hard for them. It was hard for them to leave Egypt. It was hard for them to fight to get into God's promised land, but it was worth it. It's hard for us, it's hard for us to cut ties with the earth. It's hard for us to live on earth and to fight all the time to get into God's heaven, but it's worth it. And a Christian should never see himself as a citizen of this earth. Because Philippians 3.20, Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are citizens of heaven, our citizenship is in heaven. And we should always look at ourselves, we should always view ourselves as the Jews were forced to view themselves in the 1940s when Rachmiel Friedland, when he wrote this book, when being Jewish was a crime. Because before 1940s, the Jews saw themselves as Germans, as Poles, as Austrians, as Hungarians, Jewish citizens of Germany, Jewish citizens of Poland, Jewish citizens of Austria, of Jewish citizens of Hungary. But Hitler made them criminals simply because they were Jewish. And he stripped them of their German, Polish, Austrian, and Hungarian citizenship just because they were Jews. We should identify with that. We should realize that as believers, our real citizenship is not here on earth, it's in heaven. You know, it says in Ephesians 2.19, Ephesians 
Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We should view our stay here on earth like we just all had green cards. Green cards are temporary in this country. Green cards are temporary. And it reminds me of uh, Luigi, who works for us down in Ducati. Luigi used to live in Las Vegas, and he was in charge of security at one of the big hotels. And Luigi was comfortable in the US. He had his green card. He had a nice place to live. He had a good job. He was incorporated into the fabric of America until one day, one day when he was at home and, and came the knock on his door. And the authority was there and they asked to see his green card. And when he showed it to him, they took it away and they said, you have 30 days to leave the country. That's how we should view our lives. This, it, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. That was the, not the case here with Nebuchadnezzar. As he sat in his house, in his palace, he said in verse four, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house, in my palace. This was the person who formed the first world kingdom. He had conquered Tyre and his last conquest was of Egypt and now he's set, he's secure and he's proud. And what will happen to him shows that God will not let a person like that alone that God can reach that person. He may have guards all around his bed at night, but that's nothing for God to pierce through and give him a disturbing dream, which is what happened. Because in that state, in that state, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, a terrifying dream in verse five, Daniel four, verse five, verse five, Daniel four. I saw a dream which made me afraid, thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. This dream that Nebuchadnezzar saw was so real to him that he said that he saw a dream. He said, the visions of my head, they troubled him because he didn't know what the dream meant, but he knew it was bad news for him. He knew that. He didn't know what was gonna happen next, but he knew it was not gonna be good. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't know what to do. So he does just what he's done in the past. In verse six, in verse six, Daniel four, verse six, therefore made I decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. He hasn't forgot the dream like the last one. So, but he needs the interpretation. And here they all come, just like they came before in chapter two. Here come the sorcerers, and here come the magicians, and the astrologers, and the soothsayers, and they're coming in with all their smoke and their noise, and some of them are killing animals and examining the feces to predict the future. And the king Nebuchadnezzar, he tells them the dream, and they give him nothing. They give him nothing at all in verse seven, chapter four, verse seven. Then came in the magicians, astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. It's amazing. It's amazing how people today, how people in general, keep going back to the same dry wells for water. This is what God said in Jeremiah 14.3. Jeremiah 14.3, God said, their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed, confounded, covered their heads. You know, the world with all of its money, with all of its fame, with all of its pleasures, it can't fill the soul. It can't quench a thirst inside. The Lord Jesus told this to an immoral woman that he met with at a well in John chapter four, verse 13. John chapter four, 13, when it says, Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. 
But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Whoever turns to this world for their inner satisfaction, for their inner fulfillment, they're going to come up empty over and over and over again. And even though Nebuchadnezzar knew that Daniel's God was the God of gods, he said that, and the Lord of kings, when he was in trouble, he still didn't turn to the true God. But he resorted back to his old ways, turning to these old false gods. And again, he was not relieved of his trouble. He was tormented till, till, verse 8, verse 8. But at the last came in, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream, saying, so those words, at the last, at the last. Why does it always have to be that way with man? Why does it always have to be at the last? Man could save himself. We could save ourselves. People can save themselves. So much trouble in life and so much headache, so much heartache, if man would only at the first turn to the Jehovah Jesus and not at the last. Well, finally he does turn. He turns to Daniel as a matter of at the last. It reminds me of uh, why he did this is because pride, pride inside man says, no, I'm not gonna bow down to this Jesus. No, that's pride. And you know, it's very interesting because when you go to the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, and you know, you go to see the place where they say Jesus was born, and you go to this big church. How many of you have ever been to it? Nobody has ever been to that church. Okay, well, you should all go there. Oh, one person has. Okay, you've been there, Ben. Okay, good. So it's not a very safe place to go. It's people with machine guns all around. But apart from that, it's all right. Anyway, but to get into the church, you remember, Ben? It's like four feet high. You gotta bow down. (laughs) Everybody's gotta get down just about on their knees to get in. You have to stoop down. You have to bow. And that's what God requires man to come to him in humility. Isaiah 66, 2, Isaiah 66, 2 says, For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. So the people that God hangs out with, the people that God wants to be with, are the ones who see themselves as poor in spirit. Blessed are them, they'll see God and humble and tremble at God's word. And since man doesn't want to do that, it always has to come with at the last. At the last in verse eight, at the last, Daniel came in. Reminds me of my neighbor, Larry Rust. Many of you know the story in Lakeside in the 80s, 1980s. And Larry was, uh, he was a retired Navy officer who really didn't want anything to do with God. He made that pretty clear to me. But, so I kind of gave him a wide berth He was my neighbor in Lakeside, Willow Road. But Larry then got prostate cancer. And I knew that, oh, I really never had the chance, because Larry kind of always pushed me back, to ever tell Larry how to get saved. So I said, okay, this time I'm going to tell him. So I went down there to Balboa Hospital, the old Balboa Hospital, and downstairs in the basement, that's where all the cancer patients were. And I was carrying my big black Bible, and I just got into the doorway of Larry's room, and I said, Larry? And Larry saw me in my Bible, and he started to shout loud, no, no Bible, no God, no. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just give him a little time to to cool off, and then I'll go back, and I won't take my big black Bible. So I waited, and then I I returned to Balboa Hospital, and 
And I went to the room, and, and Larry wasn't there, so I, you know, I went to the nurse, and I said, is Larry Rust here? And the nurse said to me, and who wants to know? Very strange, you know? <laughs> this is really odd. I said, Tom? And the nurse said to me, oh, so you are Tom. I thought, this is even strange. She said, well, let me tell you something, Mr. Tom. Larry Russ died last night. And all through the night, he screamed at the top of his lungs, Tom, Tom, where's Tom? Bring Tom, bring Tom. Verse 8, but at the last, Daniel came in before me. Now, keep in mind that in verse 8, it's Nebuchadnezzar speaking. And he says in verse 8, but at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and before him I told the dream. So even though Nebuchadnezzar knows in his heart that Daniel's God is, what we read at first in chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7, of a truth it is, your God is a God of gods and a king, Lord of kings. Even though he knows this, he says, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth. And they came forth. He knew that the true God was the Most High God. He was the God of gods. He was the Most High God. He knew all that, but that didn't make him saved. He knew it, but it didn't make him saved because he knew it, but he didn't make him a child of God. What would make Nebuchadnezzar a child of God is if he bent the knee, if he worshiped that most high God, if he gave himself to that Jehovah Jesus. It's like people today. They know that Jesus is God. Many people know that Jesus Christ is God. They may know that he's the only way to God, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. That doesn't make them saved. That doesn't make them saved. It's just head knowledge. It's not heart obedience and devotion. And this is what we see in Nebuchadnezzar. And this is why the Lord Jesus emphasized the importance when he began to preach, repent, repent, turn around. And that's why Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 8, he says, here's Daniel, but he has the name Belteshazzar according to the name of my God. Why could Nebuchadnezzar, why, could, why didn't he just call him Daniel? That means God is my judge. That's got the name God in it, El, God. Why didn't he just call him that? Why didn't he just say, and then came in Daniel, who's named after El, the true God? Why did he say that? Why did he have to make this point that Daniel's name was after his idol, Bel, Belteshazzar? Why did he have to say that Daniel was given the name of Belteshazzar? I mean, he had an opportunity. To, he had an opportunity to turn, but he wanted to make very clear in this statement that Daniel's God was not his God. He was not going to bow to the God of the Jews that were his prisoners that he had captured. He was not going to bow before the God of the Jews whose temple he destroyed. So he wanted to make the statement publicly that he had not given up the worship of his false god, Bel. Bel was his God. In verse 8, translation says that Daniel had the spirit of the holy gods. Actually, maybe not. Because Nebuchadnezzar used the Aramaic word which means Elohim. Elohim. So I wouldn't say that Nebuchadnezzar was saying that he had the spirit of the false gods inside of Daniel, because he knew better than that. He may have just been saying he had the spirit of God in him. So 
He addresses Daniel, he says he's the master of the magicians. I'm sure Daniel loved that. But when we see Nebuchadnezzar here falling away from his proclamation that God's the true God, the only God, the highest God, when we see him backsliding into idolatry, it shows that for a Christian, there's only one gear in life. That gear is the gear forward. It's the gear drive. Because for the Christian, there is no neutral. There is no standing still. There's only one going forward, and to stand still is to slide backwards. So we have to keep on going on with God. This is what was emphasized in Hosea 6.3, Hosea 6.3. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar tells his dream, and the dream is all about a tree. He says, behold, a tree in the midst of the earth. The dream is all about a tree. And the tree is right in the middle of the earth, It's a very important tree. It's a very tall tree in verse 10. The height thereof was great. The tree grew, it was strong. It was so tall in verse 11 that it says the height thereof reached unto heaven and the sight thereof to all the ends of the earth. So it's like the tree was wanting to reach right to God's throne, just like Satan wanting to overthrow God, just like the people of the Tower of Babel wanting to build their tower that reaches God's throne. This is the tree that was reaching unto heaven. And the tree was also seen from all the earth. It says the tree had a great reputation. And from verse 12, the whole earth ate from the fruit of the tree, and the tree gave a protection from the sun. And then there came the turn of events, the disturbing turn of events. This is what made him afraid. This is what made him so troubled. Because the great change happened as a new person appears on the scene. And this person in verse 13 is called a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. And when he saw this person who he called, when Nebuchadnezzar saw this person who he called a watcher and a holy one, it was very real to Nebuchadnezzar in verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head. Because that tree, he knew that tree represented him. That tree was Nebuchadnezzar. And that person called the watcher and the holy one, we know who that was. That was, again, Jehovah Jesus. How interesting that he is called the watcher, the watcher. You know, we talk about, I'm enjoying my privacy. There's no privacy. There's no privacy from God. God is a watcher. It says in Psalm 139, verse 7, Psalm 139, verse 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. The darkness hideth not from thee and the night shineth as a day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Whatever is a secret sin, whatever people say, what people view as a secret sin, it's an open scandal in heaven. Because God hears it all, God sees it all. And the shout goes out from the watcher. The shout goes out in verse 14. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree, cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, scatter his fruit, let the beasts get away from under it, and the fowls from his branches. He knows the tree represents him. He knows that the shout for the tree to be cut down is bad news for him, that it was talking about him. And he knows this, and he's terrified. He's just terrified because the judgment is heard from the Lord. And the judgment is, leave the stump. 
in verse 15, leave the stump with the roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given him, till seven times pass over him. So even though Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know exactly what the dream meant, he knew this was talking about his downfall. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 